And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The race is on, and with the 2020 Formula One season all done and dusted, it's time to look back on the star performers, and of course, those who disappointed over this year's 17 races. That's right, it's time for our Top 10 Drivers Season Review. I'm Ed Straw, and joining me are Mark Hughes, Scott Mitchell, and special guest Karun Chandok. Hello. Yes, so Karun, jumping the gun on the hello there, I, I appreciate that, that enthusiasm. Well, you know, I'm just really excited to be here. <laughs> it's not been a tiring season at all. <laughs> Whereas Mark and I are just sort of like, oh, for goodness sake, another podcast at the end of a, of a ridiculous year. <laughs> Green's obviously not had enough talking on Sky Sports F1 this year to uh, to fill his time. So he's, he's filling the off-season up now as well. So that's, uh, that's very, very uh, encouraging. Scott Mitchell's voice you also heard there. As usual, he's in Switzerland with his telescope. Does the telescope come in handy for your top 10 drivers? Switzerland. Did I say Switzerland? <laughs> Outstanding. <laughs> Scott Mitchell from Swaziland. This is a, this this is such a good start to this already. Yes, I am I am at home in Sweden, not Switzerland. And yes, my telescope is in its permanently collapsed position behind me. <laughs> Excellent. There's a good competition going on for who's got the best background that I think I'm I'm firmly losing on this. Groon's got a fine bookshelf with a helmet on it, all sorts of things. There's even a trophy there, which is pretty unlikely. Even think, a trophy store. An unlikely thing to find in Groon's in house. Scott's got the telescope in various bits. I've got just a blank white wall. And, and Mark Hughes has still got an Abu Dhabi hotel room. <laughs> yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> yeah, I'm just liking the sun. It's great. It's fantastic. Yeah, well, best to make uh, make the most of it. But yeah, we should get on with it. Top 10 drivers is always a great way to have a look back at who's performed well and not so well over the season. And just to stress, when it comes to our top 10 drivers, it's about the top 10 performers based on 2020. It's not necessarily our ranking of who we think are the, the best 20. The best 20? See, it's going wrong again. The best 10 drivers outright, although obviously there's some correlation there. But before we start getting into the top 10 itself, let's quickly turn our attention to those who didn't make the cut. 
to do this, we're each going to choose an interesting disappointment for us to discuss. So, Scott, you're always good for a disappointment. Who are you going to highlight? Yeah, but it's usually me. So, um, I, I'm, I'm going to go with Alex Albon. Uh, I, I've I've got some stick over the last few weeks for for giving him a, a a bit of a kick in, but at the same time, I was sort of seeking the light at the end of the tunnel for him for most of the year. So. I feel like I, if, if I was getting criticism for being too kind to him early on and then criticism for being too nasty at the end, then I probably struck a sort of reasonable middle line. The reason for picking him is ultimately he was in the he was in the second fastest car over the, the course of the season and the car that got closer and closer to the Mercedes at the end of the year. Max Verstappen won, won twice in and even scored a pole position in, in Abu Dhabi. So the car, the car was good and, and it was fairly well sorted by the end of the year. And um, it was only in Abu Dhabi that um, Albon actually looked like a, a sensible number two in, in in the Red Bull. It was the only time he came close to influencing Verstappen's race, um, keeping the Mercedes honest. The rest of the year, he was either qualifying too far back, having to recover, or qualifying in a reasonable position too slow compared to Verstappen and then falling back in the races. So it was just, he'd had such a good 2018, uh, 2019 season, particularly at Toro Rosso, and it looked like, he might belong in F1 after all, and he just never kicked on in, in 2020. There was just no sustained progress over the course of the year. Would anyone like to rush to the defence of, of Alex Albon? Obviously, he had a tough job this year. I mean, it's hard to defend, to be honest. I mean, I, I get he had the hardest job in F1. I think, um, you know, being number two, or not number two, but being the second driver alongside Max is arguably harder than being alongside Lewis. You know, I think... Red Bull, it looked like they, as a team, they gravitated more around Max than, for example, Mercedes would have done around Lewis. Um, and I think so being being alongside Max is an incredibly hard job to do. But it still doesn't explain the fact that in terms of qualifying, his average was the worst um, in terms of difference to your teammate. You know, it was over half a second, I think at 0.563 across the season, um, which is a huge amount, really. Um, and to Scott's point, they just, they don't need him. And, and and we were banging on about this all season long. They don't need him to beat Max. They don't need another driver to beat Max. But they need someone who's two tenths away and regularly at least fourth and, and doing what he did in Abu Dhabi. And unfortunately for Alex, that happened once in 17 races. Yeah, there's, it's very, very difficult to uh, to defend Albon too strenuously. There's clearly great underlying ability there, but it's just not come together this season. It's been a very tough year. Mark Hughes, who would you like to raise as a disappointment? Uh, my one obvious one for me is um, Sebastian Vettel. Uh, in his last season with Ferrari, he's never in an easy situation, of course, because he'd been told a year ahead of time that you're not required for next year. Thank you very much. And they tried to couch it nicely at the beginning of the year, saying we, we couldn't reach agreement. And the first time he was asked about it, he said, no, there was no offer there to agree to. It was just I was told I wasn't required. So he just wanted that like out there in the open. So... Um, yeah, he still maintained a good relationship with the the people working on his car, but you you can you know absolutely empathise that he didn't he didn't feel part of it anymore. Um, but having said all that, he was so far off his teammate, and his teammate has done some astonishing qualifying laps this year. I mean, give, let's let's get that out of the way for perspective. First of all, in a bit like you know Alex being compared to Max. Um, Seb being compared to Charles is, is, a, is a tough gig, but this is a four-time world champion, and you'd, you'd have expected them to rise to it, at, at least show some, you know, um, a fighting spirit that would 
uh, allow him to compete more often than he did. And I think it's probably like two, th- three races really in the, in the 17 that where you could say, no, that was all right. That was good. Um, he, he requires a very specific set of traits from a car. We know that. So the car has to operate in quite a narrow window of, of handling traits. And this one was way out of it. Um, so we saw the worst of him in, in, in a way. And I just hope that um, it, it sort of hasn't sent him on a, a confidence crisis. Um, I hope we can sort of just reboot and start again next year at Aston Martin. Karen, can you put into context what it's like to be a driver who's got a set of car characteristics that they just can't deal with? I know in your case it might be a car with just four wheels is the uh, is the one you can't deal with. But, <laughs> but no, when when you've got some limitation that maybe your teammate's capable of driving around, but it's just fundamentally limiting your style. We see this most drivers have some window where they they struggle like that. Yeah, but I think you know the great drivers overcome that, don't they? You know, and 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 the difference is if there's a an inherent imbalance in the car, yeah, you could justify it costing you a tenth or two tenths. But the gap sometimes between the two Ferraris and, and frankly the two Red Bulls, um, which to be honest, the, the traits they were talking about were similar, weren't they, Mark? You know, Albon was continuously complaining about entry instability um, and that's somewhat the the issue that Seb had as well in, on corner entry um, but you know I, I look at a driver like Fernando Alonso who went in that era in the mid-2000s from driving Michelins where you had to just chuck the, the steering lock on and then he went to the Bridgestones at McLaren in a different car in 2007 and still was successful. Then the Pirellis came along and he was immediately competitive. You know, the, the great drivers adapt. And I think um, it's a mental thing with Seb, right? You know, he's he, talent doesn't disappear. It's the the hunger, the motivation to, to work through a problem and to, to find a solution and to just crack on and get on with it, really, which just didn't seem to be there this year. And, and the errors as well, you know, the opening lap, um, can't remember which one, but one of the Silverson races, you know, that first corner spin was just, it's just unnecessary again, uh, a bit like we've seen in the past at Mon- Monza and places like that, you know, Austin in previous years. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it just looks like he needs to rediscover his mojo um, and Aston. I do think that the racing point, much like the Mercedes now does a concept with a uh, with a lower rake and stuff, has is, is got a wider operating window um, and is, is a somewhat more malleable car in terms of the aero map. And, and hopefully that'll just help Sebastian, you know, get into a comfort zone when he when he goes there for next year. So I'll be interested to see. Um, I suppose your next question is, you're about to ask me about my non-top 10 pick. Um, I wouldn't say it's... It, Disappointment is probably a harsh word, but I would say Esteban Ocon, I expected more from him this year. You know, the fact that he ended the season, you know, what was it, nearly 60 points behind Daniel Ricciardo. You know, Daniel had nearly twice as many as he did, which is a huge difference. I think particularly in the first half of the season, the qualifying gaps were bigger than you would have expected. And, um, you know, although Ocon came back on the um, in the second half of the year, when it came to the races... And Abu Dhabi was a great case in point, right? You know, they spent the first part of the race running around together. But once Daniel got ahead and got unleashed, he just disappeared up the road. And we we saw that on, I feel like we've seen that on quite a few occasions, that once Daniel was released and allowed to get in front, um, he just 
completely disappeared. I mean, you know, the, the gap at the end of Abu Dhabi was, what, nearly 30 seconds, 28 seconds, I think. Um, and I think I, I would have put Ocon 11th in my list. Um, but on the whole, I, I think he'd be slightly disappointed with a gap to Daniel this year. Yeah, I think uh, he'd be in a similar position on mine. It was it was quite a funny one, Mark, wasn't it? Because normally when we pick a top 10, my methodology is always to list the drivers that I think should all be in it. And normally it's it's 12, sometimes 13 drivers. But actually this year, it was really easy. Yeah, and it was clear that kind of Ocon was perhaps the driver who was on the bubble, but it, it didn't really take more than a few seconds thought to to exclude him. Yeah, it was just unusual. I don't know. There was just this sort of little bit of a step change after the 10 drivers. And I guess it it just randomly happens that way if some seasons. But uh, yeah, it, it was unusual. I've usually got about 12 or 13 in my top 10. But uh, yeah, this, this year it was definitely 10. I think it's because the teammates in so many cases didn't quite deliver. Did they? There was a clear gulf apart from McLaren. Um, and you know we'll discuss it in a second, Ed. I don't want to hold up the top 10 chat, but... I think similar for me, you know, the top 10 came up so easily because apart from McLaren, it just seemed like there was one obvious candidate from every team um, that deserved their place. Definitely agree with that. And on a similar topic, my my disappointment is going to have to be Lance Stroll from the perspective of we know how good the racing point was. Sergio Perez managed to finish fourth in the championship despite missing two races. And Stroll, you know, he's he's perfectly fine. He's a perfectly competent, decent Grand Prix driver, but just doesn't doesn't have what what Perez has and we saw that in Abu Dhabi that was a great example of it he had a few good moments obviously the pole position you know great for him but he, he's just one of those drivers who just feels like he just sort of ends up sitting in in races he's quite attacking on the first lap but then doesn't really change the direction of his race he just sort of sort of goes with it which it means he's perfectly decent he had a decent run early on struggled a bit when they uh, upgraded the suspension with the feel Missed a race through COVID, did have some bad luck, lost a fourth place in Mugello, got fired off by Leclerc on the first lap at, at Sochi, got flipped by Kvyat at, in uh, the Sakir Grand Prix. So he had some bad luck, but ultimately he's the reason why Racing Point didn't get third in the, well, one of the reasons I should say that he didn't, that they didn't get third in the constructors. Scott, what did you make of Stroll? Just quite typically Lance, really. Um, he had some, he had some, some, some very good moments uh, and yeah, he just, He's a little bit of a maverick. Just the the peaks can be so extraordinarily high, but he also does seem someone who I don't know if it fa- fails to sort of handle it under pressure. But I think that in in decisive moments, I I think he can just he can just fall slightly below the standard required. Uh, whether that's sort of acing the the restart, for example, at Monza, um, or or in Abu Dhabi when the burden of getting third in the championship sort of came on his shoulders and he just got stuck during during the race. So he's just, I think there were moments this year that sort of suggested Stroll had made a proper step, uh, especially to what we've sort of seen from him as a slightly interesting but frustrating driver in past seasons. But then there was also a familiar trend of he's just not quite good enough yet to be a team leader. So there's still quite a lot for him to to prove within that team he set a pole position this year which was quite impressive and um, he was very impressive in the early stages of that weird Istanbul race with a very low um, grip Um, but yeah he just looks too passive he he doesn't look as though he has much to depth 
to his desire to, to, to change things when they're not going well. If it's going well, he'll go with it. If it's not going well, he just sort of seems to shrug his shoulders. Um, that's, that's how he seems to me. Yeah, he seems to allow the struggle to keep tyre temperature right in Abu Dhabi, get to him. But yeah, we'll see how he comes on uh, comes on next year because he's going to have a good car next year as well. So let, let's get into the top 10. Now, just so everyone understands what our top 10 is, myself, Mark and Scott each put together our top 10s and then we created a composite top 10 from the races F1 team that we ran on the site. So the top 10 we're talking about today is our is our joint one and it, it's actually not identical to any of our three individual ones. Uh, Karun also has done his own top 10 for Sky Sports F1. I think it can be found on the, on the site there. Same 10 drivers, similar order, but again, slightly slightly different. So while we're not going to have any, uh, any frenzied arguments about it, there's a few little subtleties to delve into, and it's a good way to understand how some of these drivers did. So 10th place, Lando Norris. Scott? Uh, I, thought it was, um, I thought it was a good step on what was already an impressive rookie season. I feel that, uh, I feel that he, he's unfortunate in a way that he, uh, his year quite literally peaked too soon <laughs> he never matched the heights of uh, of that third place in, in in Austria and actually the first two races in Austria were sort of like headline grabbing charges uh, late on to to get great results but there were some very good understated drives thereafter I feel like he evolved into a really good leading midfield driver um the arguably the 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 main disadvantage for Norris in terms of standing out this year is that alongside him at McLaren is just such a such a classy operator in, in in Carlos Sainz. So I think Norris did a really really good job to be the best um, the best second driver in 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 the, in the midfield. And but just maybe maybe lacked sort of the more of the headline grabbing peaks to 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 merit a higher place in the ranking. Well, I had Norris as ninth on my list. Um, I actually had Bottas as tenth, but I think that that seems to be slightly the other way around to you guys. Um, I think Norris, his speed, I think it was very, you know, in terms of quality speed, he's very, very strong. I do feel he needs to be a bit feistier and punchier in the races. He does seem to be a little bit too polite uh, on the opening laps and in wheel-to-wheel battle. I think he, he sometimes gives it up a little bit too easily. Um, you know, I'd like to see him get his elbows out a bit more like Max, for example. Um, you know, Sainz started the year, didn't he, with, with some... Bad luck. He had the puncture at Silverstone. He had an engine issue, I think, one of the early races. Um, and then, obviously, at Bahrain and qualifying, he had the issue. So, you know, the, the points gap between them doesn't necessarily reflect what, what it could have and should have been. Um, I thought Abu Dhabi was a, was a great way for Lando to end the season. Um, you know, his, his, his pure race pace and tyre management has certainly improved from 2019, which is logical, I guess, in the second year. But I still think in terms of actual wheel-to-wheel battle and racing, um, he would... Because as soon as you lose those two, three places on the opening lap, you're gone. You know, you just never get those back as as um, as someone like Carlos would, who is very opportunistic on the opening lap. And I think that's something he would need to look at for next year. Yeah, I, I agree with that in um, general terms, Karuna. But the that first race... Um, uh, Austria on the restart, he, he was he was superb in how he was battling, and um, he was one of his battles was with with Carlos, and he came out on top of it. And I was looking forward to seeing that, you know, re- repeated, um, but we never did really. So, yeah, I think um, just probably, uh, pro- probably just 
feeling he's, he was consolidating his position, I, I guess. Um, but I think there was also still, I think for the last couple of years, had been a general um, mis, uh, misperception about just how fast, outright fast Carlos is. So uh, because he was underrated, I think there was a general expectation that Lando was going to be generally quicker and he actually can't really split them in, in terms of single lap pace. It's very, very close. So, yeah, I think that perception has maybe um, been part of that sort of, you know, everybody looking for a li- expecting a little bit more from Lando. I, I, but I think he's had a pretty very respectable season for his sophomore season, really. The point about um, aggression is an interesting one because that was one of the things he was tasked to improve by McLaren this year. So he's not necessarily entirely de- delivered on that. But a strong driver. I must admit, I actually thought that his Austrian Grand Prix podium wasn't even his best drive at the Red Bull Ring this year because I thought his, I think it's fifth place in the second race was arguably better. Really good drive at the Nürburgring that could well have been, should well have been third place had he not retired. And then Abu Dhabi, a strong weekend to to finish off. But yeah, it's. I must admit, I was maybe expecting him to potentially just inch ahead of Science on qualifying. Science is a very quick drive, but I did wonder if that, that upside was there in Norris, but it didn't quite happen. The McLaren was a slightly tricky car to drive as well, particularly in qualifying. It's quite a wind-sensitive car. And yeah, the fact that it was so even between them in, in terms of that often reflects the fact that Science struggles a bit more and there's a bit more re-instability and Norris tends to struggle a bit more and it's a bit more front-limited. But a great partnership. And the really important thing there was McLaren finished third in the Constructors' Championship. And as much as anything, that was because of Norris, as we said, as the second driver, as the best of the second drivers in the midfield. That that tipped the balance. So I guess that was the uh, the important thing. What, what do you think his ultimate potential is, Green? It's going to be interesting to see against Daniel next year, isn't it? Um, you know, as, as Mark pointed out, there's still... For whatever reason, there's some question marks around Carlos. I, I guess because we haven't seen him in a race-winning team. We haven't seen him, you know, win races, frankly. So there were still some question marks. Whereas with Daniel, especially after the year he's had this year, we know he's an established A-lister coming in there. Um, I, I think Lando's, you know, he's a great team player. Um, he's quite hard on himself as well. You know, I like the fact that he's quite honest about coming out and saying, I didn't do a good job. Um, you know, I think that'll... Pay, you know, it'll pay dividends if he can, as long as he can recognize that and work on it. Um, you know, if he can spend the winter watching the onboards of the first few laps, for example, you know, thinking about, hang on a second, why have I found myself in the middle as I head down to turn one with cars on either side? That just means I'm going to lose. I need to pick a side. You know, just just understanding and analyzing that a little bit. I think McLaren, obviously, you know, from all the good news that we got recently, they they look like they will be on the up. Um, I'd be, I'd be really interested to see if uh, if he is able to take the fight to Daniel next year. Let's move on to number nine now, which is Valtteri Bottas, much beleaguered driver. A couple of wins, five pole positions. Either the toughest job or the second toughest job in uh, in Formula One to be teammate to, to Lewis Hamilton. So, Mark Valtteri Bottas, extensively pilloried, I guess you could say, by people as being not quite as good as Hamilton, but that's a rather Harsh standards to hold him against, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, he takes the brunt for the the, the general disappointment of, of fans in, in, in how one-sided Formula One competition has been in, in the last few years, which is a, um, a function of the brilliance of the team and the brilliance of Hamilton. So um, that, that's sort of taken any competitive tension out, out of the series. And 
so obviously the spotlight goes on to Valtteri as someone who should be able to offer some competition, but <laughs> that's uh, you can't you can't just demand that that and he he actually does um, a terrific job for the team. It is exactly how they he, he's an exactly he de- delivers in the role that they expect of him, and he's quick enough to keep Lewis on his toes. But you know you just know that over a season he will he will be um, pretty handily outperformed by Lewis. Um, I think this year, this year's car, the W11, has enabled Lewis to get more from it, um, to get more from himself, in, 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 in particularly in the slow corners, and just from the traits of the car. So Lewis has been able to find even more from himself, whereas Valtteri just seems to have plateaued. It doesn't seem to access the, the, the greater performance that's in the, the car so much. So it's he's been not maybe quite as competitive as previous years uh, relative to Lewis but uh, you know it, it's he's not he's not a great A-list megastar he's not Max Verstappen he's not I wouldn't say at the level of Charles Leclerc or Daniel Ricciardo any of those guys but you know he's he's, he's, he's at least as good as anybody else um, if you'd it might be controversial but I'd say if he was leading the racing point team this year, he would have done at least as well as Perez. Yet Perez's stock is sky high. It's just very different circumstances, so the perceptions change quite a lot. I think that's a fair point, Mark. Um, you know, I think this year has clearly emerged, hasn't it? You've got Lewis, Max, Charles, Daniel as your A-plus stars, um, and Valtteri's very much in the category just below that. For me, it, it was... I think the the Sakir Grand Prix was the weekend that really hurt his reputation, didn't it? You know, there was... And actually, fair play to Mercedes to put George Russell in there. You know, they could have done the safe and, frankly, slightly um, less exciting thing by putting Van Dorn alongside um, Valtteri. But the fact that they put George there created this buzz and this this proper little head-to-head. And unfortunately, Valtteri, he didn't come out of that weekend looking as good as he did going into it. Um, and I think that, you know, that combined with races like Portugal, where he got in front, you know, did what he had to at the start, but then it just, the race pace wasn't there. And we've seen that, I feel, on too many occasions this season, that the race pace just hasn't been there um, and the tyre management. And in terms of quality, he's, you know, he's he's a tenth away from, uh, statistically, at least the best qualifier of all time, right? So, there's nothing, nothing there that poses a question about his outright speed over one lap. It's when it comes to that relentless lap after lap that the likes of Daniel and Alonso and Schumacher and, and people like that and Lewis, of course, are delivering on a Sunday. That's where it, it goes wrong. And, and I think there were two races that really hurt Valtteri this year. One was Turkey um, and one was uh, the Sakir Grand Prix. One of the things I found with found with Bottas this um, this season is that um, I didn't feel like he had the the sort of proper peaks that that sometimes we've seen him before. I, I appreciate that you have to put in a spectacular performance to beat uh, Hamilton over a over a given weekend, especially as I'm sure we'll discuss later. Hamilton left even less on the table than normal in in 2020 and, and Bottas did have a ferocious amount of bad luck at, at, at times as well that ma- definitely makes his season look worse than, than it was but with that in mind it, it's it's just difficult to it's difficult to to say he was anything other than decent this year really because 
other drivers in in other teams i guess because their cars sort of don't star all of the time then their headline performances stand out more you know a podium in a midfield team obviously stands out more than bottas doing a very good job and finishing second six seconds behind hamilton for for, for example but i just felt that that that, that valtteri was hurt early on by falling out of realistic title contention after only three or four races um and i don't feel like he ever really recovered from that and you know in the interest of in the interest of transparency i actually had valtteri 10th on 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 my personal list behind um behind norris uh obviously not a lot to (laughs) splitting hairs over those two positions really in the in the grand scheme of things but yeah I, i certainly don't think as much as i like valtteri and i still saw some very good moments this year just he 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 wasn't one of the stars of the season. Yeah, he's just a slightly less versatile and adaptable driver than Lewis. You see that on race days, don't you? He isn't quite strong on tyre management, a bit more wind sensitive, doesn't deal with the turbulence quite so well. And I, I think the way I see Bottas is that he's a, he's a very, very good driver who's a great counterpoint to show just how good Hamilton actually is. And I agree completely with Mark's point that if Bottas was in a racing point or a number of other teams... He'd probably be being argued to be a little bit higher, but he's got such a, a, a tough yardstick. But at the same time, yeah, he's he's not a gold standard driver. He's kind of in that that second tier, which is no disgrace. There's been plenty of uh, very successful full drivers. And I think probably he'll, in retrospect, his career will be better respected than perhaps it is right now. Let's move on to number eight, Pierre Gasly. Let's go to Karun first on this, because this was a difference between your top 10 and our one, because I think you had Gasly six rather than eight, didn't you? Yeah, I really struggled with 6th, 7th and 8th. Um, you know, I had three drivers there and, and, and frankly, I could have I could have put them in any order and, and justified it. But ultimately, I went for Gasly 6th because I I thought he showed a lot of mental strength. And I think, you know, as, as a driver, you have to appreciate the fact that he, you know, that he went through torture, really, you know, last year being being dragged through 2019, then dropped, then he lost his best mate in that accident at, at Spa, Antoine Hubert. Um, and, and frankly, then this year, you know, he's doing a great job and is basically being told, yeah, good for you, but you're never going to make it back to the top team, despite the fact that, you know, the guy who's taken over your seat isn't doing the job. So, you know, he's got that baggage over his shoulder. Um, and, and I think... For him to show the the mental resolve and shut out all of that noise um, was was really impressive. And okay, you know Monza was an unusual race, but for, you know I think for me that was actually my highlight of the season. Just that sort of underlined his his recovery um, in Formula One terms. I think the fact that he he managed to win that race, although I don't think it was actually his necessarily his best drive of the season. Um, so. But yeah, my eighth place was actually um, George Russell. Um, but uh, yeah, I I, uh, I think Gasly had a, had a stellar season. Really uh, outperformed Kvyat for most of it. Slightly dropped off towards the end of the season. Um, and as we said, you know, in terms of relative performance to Kvyat in qualifying, but across the seventeen races, I thought he had a super season. This reflects quite poorly on Karun, but I had Gasly and Russell in exactly the same places. I had uh, Gasly up in sixth on my list. <clears throat> um, uh, the, I, I don't, uh, I don't object to him being eighth in our combined list on purely for the for the reason that, that 
well, the two reasons that it was really close in that sort of area, as as Karine mentioned, but also um, just that little dip at the end of the year relative to Kvyat sort of took a tiny, tiny bit of the the shine off of Gasly's year. The bit that um, the thing that I really liked about uh, his win at Monza, for example, is is that yes, it was obviously a quirky circumstance that created the opportunity, but it also wasn't his win to inherit. I thought you know, really it should. It, could or should have been signs or stroll that that won that race, and I just thought it was really, really impressive, and a and a marker of just how far Gasly has come since his demotion from 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 Red Bull that he was able to to win that race, and he absolutely he he absolutely has done the impossible this year in making himself a legitimate option for the Red Bull senior team again, and inexplicably <laughs> the Red Bull senior team or the people making the decision absolutely don't want to put him there. The thing I liked about Gasly this year is he's got a new level of consistency. He was always capable of some very strong weekends, but he was, for the most part, there week in, week out in qualifying and the race. There were some very fine race drives to less heralded positions. Eighth in Belgium after the safety car went against him. Very strong in Portugal, Bahrain. There's plenty of these kind of low-profile drives where, where he performed really well. Like we said, there is a little bit of a difference of opinion on this. Mark, you had Gasly a little bit lower. He was in your top 10 as well. So what were your asterisks against uh, against Gasly that, that stopped you putting him as high as, as Karun did? Um, I, I couldn't put my finger on anything in particular. I thought he did a great, a great job. Um, and I, yeah, I, I agree he was much more consistent this year. Um, I just think we didn't have um, the ultimate barometer to gauge him against. So sometimes um, the, the Avatari was more competitive than at other times. Um, but when you're always outperforming your teammate, um, there's sometimes a question mark about just how far up the grid should that car be? That's the only question mark I, I had. Sometimes when it was only at the lower half of the midfield, you did wonder, well, should it be a bit further up? Or they just, you know... I tell you what, Mark, on, on that, I, I was thinking about this in Bahrain, actually, the first Bahrain, not, not Sakir. I went, you know, so circuit okay, everyone knows, FP1 doesn't really matter, it's a green track. I actually think it would have been really interesting to see Max in the Alpha Tauri and Pierre in the, in the Red Bull. You know, so Pierre and Albon, same session, you know, and both, to be fair, both Pierre and Albon have said last year that Toro Rosso was an easier car to drive. And I'd be interested to get, you know, and I wonder, Red Bull with two teams and, and the opportunity to, to shuffle drivers around, I do think sometimes they could have done with, a, you know, going back to their more aggressive outside-the-box thinking because it could have been interesting to see for a session just for their own driver feedback, for Max to come back to Milton Keynes and say, look, guys, yeah, ultimately that car is not quicker, but it is a lot easier to drive. And... and I think that could have been interesting to do for Bahrain and Abu Dhabi, maybe. Yeah, that would be fascinating. Uh, you just, you've got to convince Helmut, though, haven't you? So. <laughs> <laughs> that's well, not, yeah. <laughs> that's not an easy task. But, yeah, I, I think probably the, the one asterisk against Gasly is that he struggled a little bit more when the car was a bit more understeer limited. He likes a car that rotates quite aggressively. They've actually got two drivers who have quite divergent requirements uh, there. So that perhaps explains why towards the end of the season Kvyat had a few weekends where he was where he was pretty strong but I don't think it's correct to say as some have characterised it that Kvyat was on top at the end of the season because he, he just wasn't he just had a few you know good race at Imola but Gasly had been ahead but retired 
qualified really well in Abu Dhabi. So Gasly comprehensively won that won that rivalry. Well, let's move up to number seven now, which is George Russell. Most of the season with Williams, one glorious weekend with Mercedes. Scott, you've followed George Russell's career for a long time since you were covering him back in BRDC Formula 4 Championship Day, so that would have been 2014. So what did you make of his progress this year? I, I thought it was a really important step for him, um, both in terms of his uh, reputation within Formula 1, but also sort of his confidence and his development in himself, because while his rookie season with Williams was 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 obviously impressive, it was difficult to judge properly, given how far the car was off, off of the, its rivals, and it it took a good um well it took until what would have been what George's twenty second race I suppose in Formula One before he actually ever properly fought fought someone, <laughs> uh, which is an odd position to to, to be in. Uh, so so actually seeing how he fared in in the midfield and in a car that had the capacity to 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 actually do something in qualifying and in the race, what uh, was important um, and and I think Russell stepped up to that challenge really well. He's obviously carved out a bit of a reputation this year as a one lap specialist um, because the Williams was stronger in qualifying trim than than in the race but he also put in some fantastic Sunday drives as well and then that shock call up from Mercedes for the Sakir Grand Prix then absolutely validated the confidence that he and Mercedes have in him and and what a, a lot of us have seen in him in those underdog performances as well and even George admitted in in that second Bahrain race um, it's nice because you you do think that you're doing a mega job in in the Williams and getting the most out of it and 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 all of that, but you don't know for certain. So actually, then being given the opportunity to drive the Mercedes, nearly get pole, should have won the race, absolutely underlines that he can be an absolute elite level F1 driver. But it wasn't just the Sakir Grand Prix that we saw that from him this year, and that's why even though he didn't score a point until he got into the Mercedes, George is firmly inside our top ten. I mean, as I said in my column, you know, it's easy to to rate George based on that one weekend. Um, but, you know, one swallow doesn't a summer make. But I think the the, the really important point that, that Scott just made is that weekend gave the rest of his season context, didn't it? You know, we didn't really have a reference because he was against the rookie and Latifi. So there was no no real reference but all of a sudden that Bahrain weekend really gave the rest of his performances context and we were able to then I think evaluate across the year um it, you know again I think he, his starts weren't great this season on, on on a few occasions he actually lost you know places to Latifi and often had to sort of spend the first stint trying to get back in front of him um and I think his important one was pretty good though wasn't it <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, th- this is it, you know. So it's it's a tricky one, isn't it? Is you know, do you? That's the overriding memory of George Russell's season. Is mm. <laughs> those three days in Bahrain? Yeah, yeah. But we've got to look at it across the seventeen. I concur. It's it's about context, and for me, watching what he'd done in in the junior categories, he did look outstanding. And then he comes in, and you don't know for sure how how good a job he's doing in the Williams. You know he's doing a very good job, but is it is it outstanding? Is it a the sort of job that Lewis Hamilton would be able to do in there, or, or, or is it not quite at that level? And then you get context when he gets um, put in the, in the Mercedes. And that, to me, 
looked like the driver that had dominated all his junior career and was an absolutely sensational driver. So I think the question what we had is, is he a good driver or is he a sensational driver? And for me, I took a bit of a punt. I've got him in the top five. I've got him fifth. Um, for me, um, I think that that probably was a, a typical performance. It wasn't just uh, everything came right for him. And particularly the, the the way that every single pressure point, every single thing where he could have lost, you know, through his through his own um, inexperience or our own errors, uh, he, he didn't. He, he passed. He passed with flying colours, and he put up. He put distance on Valtteri. That performance, if 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 you just come to watch that race and you didn't know who was in the, uh, you didn't know that Lewis had COVID. You could absolutely assume that was Lewis in the car from the the performance that was delivered. Um, he obviously sat up a bit bit higher than Lewis, in, a bit hunched. But um, for me, I, putting him fifth might sound, um, you know, not you couldn't properly justify it. You couldn't fully back it up, and I accept that. But I think in hindsight, in years to come, we'd look back on that and say, fifth? How ridiculous! It's how, how could he put him as far down as that? I think you. you I really do feel that he's something quite special. I'd certainly agree. He's a driver with huge ability. The reason I put him fractionally lower was merely just there's there's still some things he needs to, to iron out. The starts are a tiny bit concerning, but that Williams is really hair trigger. There's about seems to be about one millimetre between bogging down and wheel spin. They both had their fair share of bad starts this season. But the main thing that, that Russell needs to get on top of, is, and he's admitted this himself, is balancing up attack and defence, shall we say. When to attack, when to consolidate. Sometimes he underdid it, sometimes he overdid it. This comes with experience, but that's that's the thing that I saw when he was battling down the, the, the lower order, shall we say. And that's one of the things Mercedes had asked him to pick up on. But once he was in the Mercedes, he showed how, how classy he is. He's still a driver who's improving, but stunningly quick. Nine Q2s. He flattered the Williams. I think the Alpha was all around a stronger car in that Class C group at the at the back, and often you'd see the Williams regressing to the mean in the race because one driver getting 100% out of the car in in qualifying can get it a bit higher up when others underachieve. But over a race, it's it's harder to to keep it there. So really fine season from uh, from George Russell. Let's move on next to number six, which is Sergio Perez. Mark. Yep, um, fantastic season and um, sort of. His victory was uh, such a heartwarming human interest story, wasn't it? Given that he hasn't got a drive yet, and he's doing absolutely everything to make it look like they made the wrong decision, um, and not not keeping. But um, yeah, a, a good car, um, a really good car, and he's sort of maximised it, and he's had, he's done the sort of Sergio season he always delivers, but in a better car. So he's very, very good at um, getting the tyres to, you know, do long stints. He's very good in battle. He's very good defensively. Not the last word in qualifying pace, um, but he's just a very, very accomplished um, top top driver. Not quite A, but not not quite B either. He's, he's you know somewhere in between. So. I think, yeah, what we saw was pretty much what you'd expect if you put Sergio in a really good car. I put Sergio higher up on my list, um, only because, again, I, I think there's a guy who had to mentally deal with a lot uh, in terms of 
you know, he got COVID. He got he missed two races where arguably the car was going to be its most competitive. You know, I think the two Silverstone races, that car would have bagged a ton of points, probably fought for podiums. Um, I think the fact that he's basically got sacked early in the season um, and is still dug deep to deliver repeatedly. Um, and, and he's done it with dignity, hasn't he? You know, he's not gone out there and... Um, you know, he's he's put his cards on the table and he says, look, either it's Red Bull or not. He's not, you know, he's, I, I feel like he's, it could have been easy for him to be bitter about the fact that he got sacked, despite um, the fact that he's had a much better season than Sebastian Vettel this season. But I, I thought that the way he handled himself in and out of the car was was exceptional this year. And, and you know, winning that race in Bahrain was a feel-good story of the season um, in so many ways, right? This is a guy who we all, I think it's fair to say, collectively believe he should be on the grid in Formula One. Um, and, you know, the, he bounced back from being basically last on the opening lap. Uh, it, it was a sensational drive. Yeah, I thought Perez was absolutely um, mega this year. I think the fact that he finished fourth in the championship despite missing those two races, um, he obviously had the, uh, he lost third place in Bahrain uh, through that late engine failure. And he would almost certainly have come through the field and sort of scored a lower points finish in, in Abu Dhabi. But his farewell at Racing Point lasted, what, a grand total of about six and a half laps, I think. So to to finish fourth, despite all of that, um, I think it's exceptional. And I don't think, and that doesn't even take into account the couple of big scores that he lost. I think was it Spa and then Monza because of just strategy and safety car or red flag circumstances and stuff like that so I can't actually think of any big occasions where Perez dropped points because of something he did um I thought that he was actually utterly utterly deserving of being best of the rest this year and it's significant to me because he has he has had this reputation as obviously we know that he brings backing and he's a very sensible pair of hands to have in a midfield team but he's got this reputation of being someone who is a solid driver capable of underdog heroics, especially if you need someone with some good tyre management in a tyre-sensitive race. I actually think that this year he proved there's so much more to him than that. It's the first time he's been given the a car that's so uh, explicitly competitive as the, the pink Mercedes was in, in 2020. And look at what he's done with it. I've seen so many people criticise him by saying that racing, the Racing Point have the second or third fastest car in F1 so therefore Perez should be finishing where he is. That is not a criticism. That you that you can't hold that against him. And there's a and look at the difference between what a sort of solid a, a, a good but flawed driver like Stroll did with that car and what an all-round driver did with an all-round driver like Perez did with it. So I thought he I thought he had it absolutely brilliant this year and I stand by what I've been saying for a long time which is it'd be absolutely ridiculous if he's not in F1 in 2021. I draw a comparison and this is a slightly risky comparison given the driver I'm going to name, but there's a bit of the Alan Prost about Sergio Perez and the way he executes things now. He's not as good as Prost, and because very few are as good as Prost. He's an all-time great. But just that capacity to see the big picture, make sure he sets the car up properly for the race, manage the tyres, contain himself. But the thing that I, 
I really like about him, as we mentioned with Stroll, how he just seems to sort of sit there in races and just let it happen around him. Perez is really good within that capacity to manage the tyres at forcing the issue and making it happen for him. He showed that in Sakir Grand Prix when he was down at the back, didn't let his head drop, got on with it, cleared the dross at the back, and he did the same thing again in Abu Dhabi. He cleared those those six Class B, Class C cars rather, really quickly in about seven or eight laps, and. Yeah, he's got a car advantage, but plenty of drivers take that bit longer. And if if you're clear of them in in seven laps rather than in in fourteen laps, it makes a big difference to your race time. So that's what I like about him. Whatever the race situation, he cracks on, makes the most of it, but never seems to go into this the sort of a mad attack mode that compromises the tires or anything. It's a really fine line to tread, and that's what I really like about about Perez, who who does just sort of keep chipping away, getting that bit better each year. He was outstanding last year, really superb. Uh, this year. Should we move on to number five now, which is Carlos Sainz. Karun, fine season from Sainz again. Yeah, again, a very, very good season. Um, you know, he had a bit of bit of bad luck with reliability and, and, and the puncture and stuff, but I just think on a Sunday, he is a class act, isn't he? He's just so, so good at... Um, I think he's very good at reading the race. Like, he, he, he thinks ahead... And you often, you know, when you, when you listen to the team radio uh, on the pit lane channel, Ed, which I know you do quite often, and the conversations between him and, and Tom Stallard, you go, this is a guy who, in a very Schumacher, Alonso-esque way, is looking at the big picture. He's sort of, he, he's thinking already of if somebody two cars ahead of me is doing that on that strategy, then this is what we need to do. And, um, and also... He's willing, though, on the on the flip side, when the engineer tells him, trust us, this is what we need to do, he's, he takes that on board and, and delivers. And I think um, he's very good on the opening laps. You know, you often see him making up places and that sets up the rest of his, his afternoon. Um, I think when it comes to overtaking, there's a degree of controlled aggression and, and car placement, which is excellent. And his tyre management, I think, has been really one of his big strengths in a in a way like it is for Lewis and Daniel. I think his tyre management is actually very good. He also loves to pop up with a almost a, a quiet drive to a good, strong result. He had nine top six finishes this year. Yes, I know the McLaren's a decent car, but he, he's that, even on days where it could be difficult, the German Grand uh, not the German Grand Prix, the Eiffel Grand Prix at the Nürburgring, he wasn't happy with the car, described the whole race to struggle, but there he is, pops up in, in fifth at the end. Now, Mark, he's always had that in him, hasn't he, the capacity to put together those really strong race drives, but... As he's grown in experience, he's started to do that more and more consistently, hasn't it? It's not like he does it four times a season in Toro Rosso. He does it just about every weekend now. Yeah, he's joined them up because, as Karun was saying, he's a very intelligent guy. So he, he understands. So you, you come into F1 with your, your data banks relatively empty. And, um, you know, the, the brighter you are, the, the quicker you, you fill them up. And he's just assumed the team leader status there as well, hasn't he? Just with... Not not through being the big I am, just through you know just dependable high performance, um, and his racecraft is great. He's got fantastic car control, which you only see sometimes in the wet conditions because I think he he, he drives below that edge, but it, it's there when he needs it. Um, yeah, he's, he's terrific. Uh, few i can't remember them i think it might have been a couple of blips where you could have said oh he could have done better there he could have handled it but nothing serious um yeah just a absolute um top performer 
Sochi's the Sochi's the only one, really, isn't it? Yeah, that was it. He, yeah, that was it. Where he hit the wall, but yeah, if, if you look at not starting in Belgium, puncture at Silverstone, and then the um, the qualifying issue in Bahrain, yeah, that's a whole chunk of points which really probably went out the window for him. He also struggled with the the power unit being a bit down at Silverstone over those two weekends, and they brought it forward, so that worked against him as well. I put signs. Um, I put signs seventh on the. The, the the list that I submitted, but actually on 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 reflection, I, I I did him a disservice. I think he would have been, I think he probably should have been sixth on my personal list, and just basically neck and neck with Ricardo and Perez because I think he was among that clutch of driver who, as the others have said, just so vanishingly rarely let something slip through his fingers um, on on his own. The the Russia error was horrific, and he knows that that was. That was a bad blunder, but apart from that, um, there's, you can't really hold anything against him. I, I remember tallying stuff up briefly, and I think he's got like he should have basically an extra twenty five percent of his points total, but for those factors that Karun mentioned, sort of taking stuff away from him when when it really shouldn't. So this was a this was a brilliant season from Signs in many ways. This kind of um, reflect it reflects well his um his overall career which is that <laughs> it was a lot better than it probably looked on, on on the surface and probably leads to him continuing to be a little bit underestimated he may even have been underestimated by ferrari who signed him for next year i think they've seen him as a good rounded support act to charles leclerc but they might get more than they bargained for i guess the really interesting thing is, is he, he does struggle a bit when the rear end's a bit limited and a bit unstable and the ferrari was that this year so I do suspect he might struggle in qualifying up against Leclerc this year, but if the car's stronger next year, I think we'll we'll see his class. Just a again and just a good rounded package. There's no specific major weakness there with with science as long as the uh, as long as the car is decent. It was a tricky car to drive at times. Let's move on to Daniel Ricciardo in fourth place. Another outstanding season from him, Scott. Yeah, can we take everything we just said about signs and then multiply it by like a factor of 1.1 or something? Because Ricardo is kind of similar, but just I think to just a slightly higher level, I think. Um, I'll be honest, because um, I started covering Formula 1 properly in 2018, which was when um, Verstappen got a bit of a handle on Ricardo as the season progressed. And by the end of the year, that combination of terrible reliability, the fact Ricardo was leaving and Verstappen being in the ascendancy meant that Ricardo's sort of stock inside Red Bull sort of had dropped. So I was a little bit unconvinced and I wasn't really, sh- I didn't really buy into the, this idea, the, the, the fact that he was in that sort of absolute elite level of Grand Prix driver. Um, but this season, uh, any doubt that I had has been eradicated because he's, he's just, put someone like Ocon firmly in the shade and um as was discussed at the very beginning of this podcast we had higher hopes for for Ocon this year Ricardo's absolutely put him in his place we know he commands a he has commanded an enormous salary from Renault and even though he hasn't been the difference between that team winning races and not winning races um he has been worth every every penny they've paid they've paid him um because He's not left anything on, on, on the table. He has been an absolutely mega driving force in that team. And I've been super impressed by the by the professionalism and maturity as well because while you wouldn't expect someone you're paying an awful lot of money to check out when there's a whole season to be run, the simple fact is he made his decision to leave for McLaren before a 2020 Grand Prix had taken place. And there was the possibility that that took a little bit of the sharpness away from, from him 
there's been absolutely no sign of that in 2020. I thought that was uh, a really good summary from Scott, really. Uh, you know, I think he's, he's, he's had a stellar season. He's put himself back into that category of A-list. The years alongside Max, you know, he did take a bit of a beating, didn't he? I think mentally as well, it was quite hard for him. Um, and I thought last year was a year of stabilizing, learning about life outside of the Red Bull system for the first time in F1. And this year he flourished, absolutely flourished. Um, you know, very, very good on, on a Sunday. Just that, I mean, that drive in Abu Dhabi of the weekend just summed it up, didn't it? You know, the car wasn't quick enough, really, to be, to be in amongst the McLarens on a, um, in, on a quality lap. But when it came to the race, he drove a super, super first stint. You know, the pace that he showed on a really used set of the hard tyres, um, you only have to look at Ferrari, who did a very similar strategy and just fell apart. Um, and and Ricardo made the strategy work. And I feel like there's been quite a few occasions this year um, where, yeah, he's done super quality laps. Silverstone, the, the 70th Grand Prix comes to mind where he qualified fifth. Um but, you know, places like Spa finished fourth, I think, there. You know, just some some really top quality performances. Um, once again, has put himself back into that A-list, A-plus list of drivers, I think. Mark, you put a good line in your comment in the written piece about this where you said, here's what a world champion calibre driver looks like in a midfield car. Sums it up, doesn't it? Yeah, um, I, I've never had any... Doubts about him since 2014. For me, he's been in the elite all the way through. And I think even even when he was uh, in his third season against Verstappen and Verstappen had uh, established a bit of an edge over him in raw speed, he he was still able to compete with him. He was still able to compete with him over the um, o- over a Grand Prix weekend. And he 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 wasn't um, he didn't have the the last sort of special qualifying. Um, sp- speed, but that that Max has um, on occasion, but on a race he could he could do some extraordinary stints on the tyres. Um, he's he's you know he he went into um, a very highly rated drivers team last year in Nico Hulkenberg and pretty much destroyed him. Um, he's just done the same test about Ocon. He would do the same to anyone that's not Hamilton, Verstappen or Leclerc, I feel. He's, that, that, that is his level. Yeah, and I think he, he elevated Renault. He was every bit worth the $25 million a year they've been paying him. Some just really outstanding drives there from, from him. Just a, such a classy performer. Top three now, Charles Leclerc in third place. Mark, we mentioned already his astonishing qualifying laps this year. Oh, yeah, he's John's just some beauties, hasn't he? Um, the one at... Uh, Portimao, uh, no, it's just the one in Bahrain. Um, but yeah, I just that that car sometimes shouldn't even be in Q3, and he'll stick it on the second row. Um, so yeah, yeah, absolutely amazing. But then obviously the car comes down to its natural level in the race. But um, yeah, I think uh, he is um, something. We talked about that little edge that on, on qualifying pace that Verstappen has, and um, I think Hamilton has. I think Leclerc has that too. I think that's that's the only thing that distinguishes those three um, that that, uh, that really make them stand out. So, yes, he's he's had um, 
he's had some errors this year, some bad errors for you know crashing into your teammate and on the first lap. And um, yeah, but it's 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 all, once he's qualified out of position, he's like desperate to make use of that and just trying for sometimes something that the car's just not going to be able to give. So he's got a bit desperate sometimes. So you, you'd you'd mark him down for that on his performance this season, but not. I don't think it's a trait. I think it's just the, the circumstances he's found himself in. Didn't you? Um, didn't the Portugal's? Didn't the qualifying lap in Portugal draw a comparison with Gilles Villeneuve in a way from you, Mark? Was it? Yeah, was it, it Portugal did. Yeah, that... it was. Yeah, um, yeah, did a piece on that. It was absolutely like that. It was like watching. It was like watching Gilles with that um, eighty-one Ferrari, where he just didn't want to go through corners, but he, he didn't let that um, slow him down any. Uh, it was it was an amazing performance. Yeah, and and the race as well, wasn't it? Portugal. I mean, exceptional race. To, it's one thing to haul a car around, you know, hanging it out for a lap to get fourth, but then to finish fourth in the race when a car which didn't deserve to be there. I mean, I, I thought his lap in in Silverstone was excellent as well to get on the second row of the grid there, uh, which is a you know we know a very power sensitive circuit, um, Silverstone, and and that's clearly where the Ferrari lacked. So. No, a, a super, super drive. Um, he had three first lap incidents, didn't he? Was it Sochi with Stroll? Obviously, the one Mark mentioned in Austria. Um, and there was another one. Oh, yeah, Bahrain, of course, where he got involved with Max and, and Checo um, at the Sakir Grand Prix. So Crashed out of Monza as well, not on the first lap, but later in the race. Yeah, later in the race. So I think there's... You know, there's, there's that side of it that still needs to be ironed out. But unquestionably... If Ferrari can get their act together um, and they, they're saying all the right things, it does their power unit for next year, we'll, <laughs> we'll have to wait and see if it comes true. But he, he's ready, isn't he? He's ready to, to be a championship contender. Yeah, because um, Leclerc's mistakes this year were a bit like a, 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 a sort of Verstappen early 2018, but like a light version of it because they weren't, it, wasn't as, it wasn't a sustained run, run of errors, but it was almost like a... Um, as 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 Mark said, it was uh, it was a consequence of the situation he found himself in, sort of pushing himself over the limit to take advantage of what he saw as such a small opportunity or small window to make something happen. Um, but the crucial difference, I think, between a Leclerc and a Verstappen is Leclerc just has this ability to own up to his mistakes. I mean, listen to his radio immediately after the Turkish Grand Prix; he was absolutely, absolutely livid with himself. Um, how many times have we heard him call himself a, call himself stupid or call himself an idiot and swear over the radio and he really really lays into himself and this is why which I've said I think a few times on the, our various podcasts in the past you know, I don't think he's a driver who makes exactly the same mistake twice I think he does learn from his errors and that's what helps him evolve the way the way he has and this season was so good uh, that it actually eclipsed his 2019 season. And considering that was his first year at Ferrari, he won two races and he ousted a four-time world champion as the team leader. I think saying that 2020 was better is a good indicator of just how good this year was. Yeah, I think the, the only thing you can hold against him is is those mistakes. I don't think you can completely exonerate him from them, given that it was in the pursuit of trying to hold a car higher up the order than perhaps it, it deserved to be. I suspect that in a championship situation, he should calm that tendency because he'll know he won't have to do it but that's that's the one the one downside uh to to declare this year but the very fact that if you were to pick out a qualifying lap of the year your basic challenge is to sift through 
the four or five particularly brilliant ones from Leclerc to decide it. You know, he's turned in so many outstanding qualifying laps in a limited car. He's crushed Sebastian Vettel so convincingly. Yes, we know Vettel struggles with a lack of rear end stability, but even so, the, the gap is enormous. And that gap was there at times last year, Spa, for example. So, you know, it's not come from nowhere, but you know, Clerk is absolutely a class act. And he's shown this year precisely why, even before the season started, Ferrari had thrown its weight behind him as their, their long-term superstar lead driver for, for the future. I think there's a absolutely brilliant driver there, and I just hope he'll be up front fighting for wins soon. Let's move on to number two now, Max Verstappen. Karun, another fine season from him in a in very much the second <laughs> the second best car. Yeah, I think, you know, Martin Brundle spent most of the season saying thank God for Max Verstappen because he made he made so many races at least interesting, you know, in terms of getting the cat amongst the pigeons um, against the Mercedes. But it's a funny one, isn't it? Because in Abu Dhabi, it, they seem to almost confuse themselves as, as well as the rest of the paddock of, of how they outperformed Mercedes. Um, and, you know, I was talking to a couple of the engineers on the phone and, you know, there's no, yes, they think it might be this, it might be that, it tells the track and characteristics, etc. But, there's no conclusive answer as to how and why that happened. Um, I think Max could have and should have won in Turkey. You know, spinning when trying to pass Perez was was an error. But apart from that, exceptional. App, you know, if you're talking about a driver who maximized everything they could get out of the car, you'd have to say that Daniel um, and Max were probably, the, and Charles were the, were the drivers who got got there on every occasion, um, apart from who is the obvious number one. Yeah, don't give away who's number one yet. We're not, we haven't got on to him yet. But Mark, for Stappen, any negatives about him? And there are a few little tiny minor things, like could he have stayed off the throttle longer at Sakir and off the runoff? But, you know, they're, they're really, really hypercritical things, yeah. aren't they? Yeah, they are. They are, they are. Um, in terms of what he drags out of the car, I think... Um, I, I, I wouldn't like to even begin to try and split him and, and Hamilton. I think they're absolutely of that of a similar caliber. Um, I think the only way of um, I had of, of, of splitting who who did the, the the better job was just how much Hamilton works behind the scenes, um, which is uh, something he's he's done for the last probably three or four years, and how much he's 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 actually driven the improvement of this car. The the the, the the, the lineage of cars and he's been pushing for certain things for years and just chipping away chipping away and that has driven development and that, that, that is ultimately how they ended up with a car that took a step change in performances yeah um, because they finally were able to figure out a way of giving him what he needed and that's probably max is sort of earlier in his career and it's maybe not in an environment where that would work i don't know um, but yeah that's the only way i would try and sort of distinguish between them really because in terms of what they do in the car it's phenomenal and it's 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 absolutely dependable you just know that that, that is 100 percent what the car will do and just yeah he's an extraordinary extraordinary performer scott did you give any thoughts putting verstappen one uh yeah i did um i because similar to what mark said i, I found it, it you're really you you are basically splitting hairs when it comes down to how each of them performed in their respective seasons, and it wasn't that um, 
you know, it wasn't like Hamilton went, went for an error-free um, for a year. Uh, but I just felt that the thing that there was one tiny, tiny niggling little um, uncertainty that I had over just how brilliant Verstappen's season was is that he just had he just had too much of an underwhelming second driver in in the Red Bull. So while it was clear that the Red Bull was no match for Mercedes and you know, you have a very, very, very good idea and indication that Max is getting the absolute most out of it every single weekend. Such a big gap to Albon was too indicative of Albon underperforming than just Max relentlessly demolishing him. So we never, we can never have absolute conclusive proof that uh, of just how far off that 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 Red Bull was. I'm pretty sure out of the any driver you could put in the other car, it's, it is incredibly unlikely that someone would have driven it faster than Verstappen this year, but you just don't know. So, and, and Hamilton was going up against a proven pole position uh, winner and race winner in, in, in Valtteri Bottas. So um, you, you just have a sort of stronger benchmark basically against which to, to, to judge the driver's um, own extraction of uh, performance through the, through the season. So, but we're, but we're talk- if we were talking this in percentage terms, I, I think it would be, it would be like a decimal point of a percentage difference between them because Verstappen was absolutely excellent in, in, in 2020. Another step in his evolution. And what while there is still potentially a tiny question mark over his temperament, I still I do believe that mistakes like the one he made in the Turkish Grand Prix is a still an element of having to having to have a you know all or nothing mentality because these opportunities come around so vanishingly rarely. I I do believe if he was put in a title challenging situation, he would be able to go to distance. Well, that's the ultimate question with Verstappen, isn't it? But I'm sure he'll, he'll fare well in a championship battle. The thing I like about him is take the second Silverstone race where Mercedes had the, the blistering problems. There was that point where he was closing on them and the team said, well, just sort of hold it here. And, and he said, no, I'm going to pressure them. And, the thing that I liked was Verstappen, even when it was difficult or unlikely or against the odds, he always tried to ask questions of the Mercedes drivers, which I think is a great sign from a from, from someone determined just to, you know, if the door's just a tiny bit ajar, he's going to pile through it. And that's that's really important for a, for a driver. And that's that's what I enjoyed about about him this season. But yeah, when it came came to that number one versus number two decision, I'm sort of in the same same place it was so 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 marginal but Hamilton just just that that fraction ahead did you think about Verstappen number one Karin? briefly but I just I just found it hard to find any chinks in Lewis's armor this year I, I, you know um and I, I think actually on reflection now listening to Scott he's probably right you know I think there's there's an element of Verstappen maybe being frustrated. You know, he's, what, now six years into his F1 career as a driver who we all believe to be one of the top two in F1 consistently. Um, and he hasn't had a chance to fight for the championship. You know, if you, if you look back across the great drivers in F1, you know, Schumacher, title contender in his, and championship winner in his third full season, uh, Prost was a title contender early on. Senna was a title contender. You know, they were all Lewis straight away a title contender. Um, 
Max hasn't had that opportunity, and there's a bit of frustration, I guess, in that. You know, he's so he's he's trying to make things happen, um, but I just thought Lewis this year, he was just on another level in terms of consistency, and you know, we the easy ones to do are, are point to obviously races like Turkey and, and and things like that, but you know, even just his qualifying laps. At, Spa, for example, you know, I remember watching at the 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 Fania chicane, and he went through the right hander, and as he turned into the left, the back of the car does this sort of shift, but but he's just it's balanced, you know. It looks you you watch him go, wow, that's, he's he's about to either have a spin or lose time, but he doesn't. He hold, he's a, he holds it there, and he's just, he's just got this amazing touch, which he. He, he, I think to Mark's point earlier, he's now understood how much he needs to work on the trade-off between setting the car up for qualifying and the race and, and, and then driving differently to, to manage the tyres and make the strategy and make the car and make the setup work. And I just feel he's turned, although he goes on about the fact that obviously Senna was his all-time hero, I feel like there's a Prost-esque approach in Lewis's driving since um, late 2018, I'd say. You know, I think back to that Mexican Grand Prix that he won. You know, against the Ferraris 2018, just again managing the tires. Um, last year, I think it was actually. Um, and I think there's just a Prost-esque methodology that's come into Lewis's armory now, which he he didn't have before. I'm disappointed by this because I think Karun's given away our number one, and this is how I find out that my pick for Daniel Kvyat has been ignored. Yeah, you just didn't give him enough uh, give him enough points with your with your tactical voting. But yeah, Hamilton obviously is number one, and Kroon started off the conversation very, very, very well there. But we've talked a lot, Scott, on this podcast about how good Hamilton is. But while it may seem a bit repetitive, he just is, isn't it? And there's this whole oh, is it just easy in a Mercedes? But the contribution Hamilton makes overall, not just in what he does on track, but off track, the whole thing just can't be underestimated, can it? No, not at all, and. Uh... It's been really interesting, actually, listening to, um, to to various Mercedes people this year, including James Allison and, and Andrew Shovlin, about one of, one of the features that Hamilton has, which is has been so valuable in 2020, is this maturity and calmness that he's developed in 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 key key moments during during a Grand Prix, and we saw it a few times where he is able to play the long game, and uh, those are slightly nuanced more nuanced moments than we'd like to see we'd obviously like him to be faced with races like turkey um every week if we can so we can actually see it properly on track but it's just it's things like in portugal where the race is a little bit weird in the opening laps because of the lack of grip and a little bit of rain in the air and hamilton falls back but he doesn't panic and he just sort of slowly goes about piecing his race back together and eventually unleashes a level of pace that someone like bottas just can't go with so Hamilton has made the difference and I think Verstappen put it really well when he was asked because of obviously uh, Russell uh, was absolutely mega on his standing performance for for Mercedes which obviously fed the critics who believe that Lewis's stats are padded and that he doesn't deserve the success that, that he's got and and Verstappen was among those asked sort of does basically does this justify sort of Merck doing whatever it can to keep Lewis in the car and Max said yeah of course Merck should do that because Hamilton is a seven-time world champion because he makes the difference when it counts. And we saw that plenty of times in in, in 2020. It's just, 
it's just something that F1 needs to change because what while you can still tell the story of how he made the difference and why he is so good, it would just be nice to have more sort of anecdotal evidence on track where he's sort of had to fend off the Stappen or Leclerc or somebody in a in a straight fight other than just roundly destroying Bottas over the course of a season yet again. The thing I really like with with Hamilton this year, the race that stood out for me actually was Spain. He talked in the race after it about how in the zone he was and just how close to almost perfection it was. It just shows how completely in control he can be. And just to see a driver, boring race ultimately, won by 24, 25 seconds, but just a driver excelling and just so on top of things is fantastic. We saw that regularly this season, but Spain bizarrely stands out for me. But Mark, final word on on Lewis Hamilton. There's very little. There's very little new we can say about him. Really, he's just, he is that good. Yes, his stats are helped by being in the best car, but you've still got to be the driver capable of capitalising on it and contributing to it being the best car to do that. Yeah, and I think he's, he's still just he adds new strings to his bow all the time. He just he, he refines his whole his, his whole game, and it gets better each year. And this year, his qualifying was better than last year. I, I thought. And then when there's an opportunity to do something really special, such as in qualifying for the Styrian Grand Prix, it goes and pulls a lap like that, which is 1.2 seconds clear of the field in appalling conditions. So it's still very much there beneath the velvet glove. So, yeah, just just amazing, outstanding. Statistically, the greatest Grand Prix driver of all time, seven world championships now. Every chance to get the eighth next year, and we'll be sat here in 12 months talking about him being number one again. But... Hopefully he's pushed a little bit harder, but you can't blame him for, for the competition. And no matter who he's up against, he's going to be an absolutely formidable competitor. So just to, just to recap our top 10 in reverse order, it was 10 Norris, 9 Bottas, 8 Gasly, 7 Russell, 6 Perez, 5 Sainz, 4 Ricardo, 3 Leclerc, 2 Verstappen, 1 Hamilton. You can find our collective top 10, myself, Scott and Marks, on the race.com website and don't forget the hyphen and of course Karoon's top 10 is on the Sky Sports F1 website so thanks very much for your input it's always an interesting process to, to work through the best performers of the year and rank them and do let us know on social media if you agree or disagree do head to the race website as I say to see what we've had to say there check out our sister podcasts including Bring Back V10s which tells classic F1 stories all, all four of us occasionally turn up on that and also check out our YouTube channel just search for the race We'll be back soon with another episode of the Race F1 podcast. <laughs>